Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Welcome to Hardcore Church Planning. This is Peyton Jones, and you'll notice that the introduction to this is a little bit different. That's because Pete Mitchell, my uh, faithful sidekick, uh, as I like to call him, even though he's twice my size, my big buddy, I guess I'd be his little buddy, although that brings out my short man syndrome, uh, he's not with us today. And instead, I have with me a guest, as is usual, but uh, we'll pretend that Pete's off to the side making deep insights and uh, snide remarks. But uh, my guest today is Tyler Reagan, and he is the executive director of the Catalyst Movement. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Peyton. It's great to be here. Sorry, I don't know that I can fill the shoes that you're talking about here, but I'll give it a shot. Well, they're about a size 13. He's a big dude. Well, that's not going to happen then for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I don't argue with him unless it's over the phone. But man, tell us a little bit. I mean, Catalyst, it almost doesn't need an introduction. Everybody knows Catalyst, but tell us about Catalyst. What's the, the kind of vision and the passion behind the Catalyst movement? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Catalyst has been around for 15 years. John Maxwell started it 15 years ago. Some people, it's funny now if you go to Catalyst and you say his name, uh, a lot of people don't know him anymore, which is crazy because, you know, John's kind of a, a father for so many of us from a leadership perspective. And, um, but John started it because he felt like as he was getting older, so were the people that, that attended his conferences. And he wanted to make sure he was always investing in that next generation of leaders who love the church. And so uh, he tapped a guy on the shoulder named Andy Stanley and, and said, hey, I'd like for you to do this with me. And he and Andy and Reggie Joyner and a few other guys, Gabe Lyons, who does Q Conference. And they just kind of started this random once a year gathering for leaders who love the church. And um, it was really for 40 and under originally. That was kind of the deal. They didn't card, but they definitely uh, made that clear that that's who we're going to program to. And so... Uh, we still keep that focus that we want that 25 to 35 year old um, who loves the church to be, that's our program. That's our target audience. But like in Catalyst, uh, we have Catalyst Atlanta in a, in a week or so. We have a guy that sits on the front row with 9,000 people who's, who's 78 years old. And uh, you know, so there's a mindset, there's a, there's a thought process of certain leaders that are just not okay with average and status quo. They want, they want to continue to move the church forward um, while still holding on to doctrine and theology in a way that um, is, is conservative and faithful to God's calling. So, man, it is, it is really trying to equip leaders uh, to be better. I personally believe, as someone who's a pastor for years, I still am a pastor. I just happen to work uh, outside of the church, you know. Um, I, I believe the church should be the best-run organization on the planet and uh, because how we lead affects people's faith. And so many of us spend so much time on communication for Sunday for 40 minutes that we forget that how we lead the people week in and week out really does affect their faith because that's where what you're saying on Sunday starts matching your life. And so um, we're just spinning our, our wheels trying to make sure that the church is run uh, 
and leadership is central to the way that our pastors are, are doing what they do um, as Christian leaders. So it, it is one of the greatest joys of my life because I love leadership and I feel called to the church, to love the church. So, uh, man, it has, been a, it has been a wild ride, but it is it's an amazing, amazing ride. That's awesome, man. Well, you know, I, I, I'm just looking, you know, you served uh, North Point Church and uh, you've, you know, you've, you've worked with some top quality leaders. And so right away, you know, you kind of, you kind of stand out as a guy who having that kind of mentorship, um, working with organizations like you do being surrounded by, uh, leaders that are known, as you said, for excellence and bursting the status quo, that's not to be taken lightly, but I, I, in particular, I like something I read about you that says for more than eight years, one of the ways that Tyler has measured his success as a leader and grown in his skills is through one question. Do the spouses or significant others of his team members like him? Explain a little <laughs> bit about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I tell my team all the time, if, if I say something, you think there's more behind it? There's not. I'm pretty shallow when it comes to uh, my thinking. And so even a question like that, I know at times seems like, really? That's a question that you would consider. And it really is very, very central to me. I call it kind of my litmus test for leadership because the reality is I've got a group of people here at Catalyst, for example, I have 25 staff and I happen to be, you know, at the top of the food chain for lack of better terms. But, um, so I've got 24 people who are looking to me in a way to create a culture and an environment and a career for them that, uh, they love because I know this and we all know this, whether it's at a church or in a business or marketplace, if you create a culture where people want to be at work and they like what they do and they're healthy doing it, they are going to give you their very best, if not more. They're going to serve beyond belief and they're going to create, they are going to grow your organization better than you could ever do it on your own. So mm. one of the things I've always said is like, I know for a fact that if a spouse of one of my employees likes me, that says a couple of things. It says one that their spouse, their significant other, is coming home from work happy. I mean, maybe I mean there's always frustrations with work, but for the most part, I'm not the center of their frustration. Well, that's usually a pretty good sign that I'm doing something to to be a leader worth following, to be a leader that's creating a culture that people want to be around. The other thing is not just that they're coming home not crazy frustrated, but that they're coming home. Uh, you know, that's a big piece. I spend more time in this building sending people home than I do telling them to stay late. Um, because I, I'm just really passionate that you as a leader have to be healthy. And so I feel like in my seat, in my role, I obviously have the catalyst things I've got to run. Where are we going? What are we doing? Vision, relationships. But I also know that God's called me to steward this group of 24 people Mm. to a way that they are healthy. So I feel like if I can keep them healthy emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, then they're going to be better leaders, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned about being a healthy leader, and that's something that I think leaders kind of wink at and they talk about because yeah. it sounds good. But yeah. um, how do you keep yourself healthy and how do you keep your team healthy? That's a good question. Um, you know, when, um, when I worked for Andy Stanley, I, again, I, you, you mentioned this a minute ago, like I'm it's really been one of the greatest joys of my life to get a re- to sit around some of these high capacity leaders and learn from them. Um, one of the things we, we always talked about was the importance of 
creating boundaries for everyone's on our team, uh, making sure that ourselves had boundaries. I remember when Brad Lominick, who was my predecessor here at Catalyst, when he asked me to come over full time, uh, Brad at the time was, uh, single. He worked, you know, a lot of hours, um, put in a lot of time. And I remember telling him in the interview, I said, Brad, um, again, something I, I just felt like I learned from watching Andy is I said, Brad, I, I would love to be part of this organization, but here's what you got to know. Um, I'll come in early. I'm an early riser. I like to be there early, but I'm going to leave every day around four, four thirty, because that's the time my wife needs me most. And that gives me two hours with my boys. Um, and that's really not negotiable unless there's, you know, life happens. You have events, you have meetings, you have different things. Cause we travel a decent amount doing events. And I just remember saying, if that's okay with you, then this is an option for me. But if it's not, I'm okay where I'm at. Good for you. Well, man. for me, it was trying to say at the beginning, you know, and most of the team, honestly, at that time, we're, for Catalyst, we're, we're single or, you know, they, they just work different hours and a different. So it made it really weird at first because they would come in at 9, 930. Well, I'm, I'm there at 7. And but when I'm they're just getting rolling at four o'clock, I'm no, don't schedule a meeting. I won't be there, you know, and, and you could sense at a time like there's frustration, like what we still got work to do. And I'm like, yeah, well, then if you want to schedule time with me, schedule it between seven and nine. Cause I'll be here. <laughs> right. So it was just, it was just trying to create a, um, a, a, a work style where people around me saw that I wasn't, a, I wasn't scared to make a decision like that. And, um, and the reality is when my family is well, I'm well. Um, and I, I do better for that. So, you know, for me, Peyton, at the end of the day, I have a group of people that I want to see priorities to be central to them and, and to know, I don't care if you're married or single, you have to be healthy. you got to fight for health. It all ends. Now I know this, Andy wrote a big book called choosing to cheat for years. People have talked about it. It's the idea that you've got to cheat somewhere. So cheat work. Um, you know, you don't cheat your family and, you know, especially in church world and in church planners of all people, it's really tempting to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. It's really tempting yep. because it's God's work. It's God's things. Well, I don't know anywhere that I feel like says or reiterates that God is calling us to not have healthy and good families, that they're not central to his call in our lives. Um, I remember at one of our one day catalyst, one day events that we do, Andy did a whole talk on uh, family and how important family is. And he made this one statement that'll stick with me forever. It might not be that God's calling you to something. It might be that God's calling you to raise someone. Mm. And when you think, Think about that in, in, in the scope of work and the scope of your life and the scope of your ministry. You just cannot alienate your family from that equation of that calling. And so um, for me, I, I fight for health, not only on my team, but for myself, because I don't need to just be healthy at work. I need to go home healthy. Um, right. I'm, I, I can delegate work stuff. I cannot delegate what I do at home to anyone. And so there's just a really powerful understanding of how important it is that um, I'm healthy um, to the best of my ability. So it's just fighting for exercise, trying to eat right, which is by far the hardest thing for me. I love a good Coca-Cola. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I've got two kids and a wife that they need a healthy a dad and a husband. And so just trying to fight really hard to say I have boundaries when I come home. I take the red eyes when I can to make sure I don't miss baseball games. Little things like that that just say, man, I'm going to choose that. I'm going to choose something different than what feels easy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Um, 
when you look at um, things like your work-life balance, um, what are some of the things that you've done even when you get home after that four o'clock window um, to make yeah. your family healthy? And, and and this is what I mean is like, for example, I think all of our wives could, we've probably heard this, you're off uh, and you're home, but you're not with us. And yeah. I remember reading about Steve Jobs. I read the big fat biography that came out. Mm-hmm. And I I'm impressed with that, Peyton. Well, it done. was an excellent book. I have <laughs> to say, it was really good. I, I said that to impress everybody, but <laughs> there you go. Well played. <laughs> yes, yes. I saved it. I've been waiting to use that somewhere. But uh, <laughs> but he actually, you know, th- this shocked me. Um, his rule, and of course, you know, you, you read about the guy who walks barefoot to have meetings. I mean, he, he was a he was a eternal hippie, but. Yeah. You know, he had a sparse, very Spartan home, and yet you would think there would be technology everywhere. There wasn't, but he had a rule, and his rule was at the dinner table. The dinner table is sacred, and phones, yeah. uh, you know, the guy who basically invented the iPhone uh, said no, no technology at the table. That is our sacred yeah. space. Um, are there things like that, life hacks, cheats? Things that you found that that have helped you when you get home to be home? Yeah, for sure. Um, I I learned from a friend that there's a, a, on your route home, whatever that route home is, find a trigger point, whether it's a billboard, whether it's the McDonald's, whatever that is. But choose at whatever trigger that is, that that's the end of the workday, in a sense, that um, I, because I, you know, you're unwinding, you're driving, you're thinking, but there needs to be a flip in your mind that moves you from all the emails that you just got from all the tickets that you're trying to get sold from all the relationships that you're trying to manage from that bad conversation. It needs to flip to what do I have tonight? You know, I got baseball. I've got, uh, we're just having dinner, whatever that looks like. I think that's a really wise thing to do because what we find is we're finishing that text as we're walking in the door, we're finishing that call. Do that 10 minutes earlier Mm. because I want my kids to see their dad has made a choice. No, they, the good thing is they'll never know the difference unless I continue to walk in on my phone calling. Now, occasionally, there's nothing you can do to avoid it, and you'll get a call. And you know this as well as anybody. And pastors feel this as much as anybody. This weight never takes off of my shoulders. This weight of what I'm responsible for, this weight of ministry, this weight of this thing. And so many people, you know, I know a lot of people that have a nine-to-five job. And, 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 you know, again, let's say you're a bank teller. When, when you check out, when you cash out that uh, box or that, that tray, you turn it in, you're, you're done. Mm. Like you're not thinking about it until the next morning when you come in, you start counting again. You might be thinking about a conversation. You might, and a lot of people are like, oh, I love your job. You get, there's flexibility. There's things. The thing about our jobs when you're carrying something like this is that never happens. You never have a chance to cash out your drawer and just forget about it for a while. Um, And so I think for me, learning where that drawer has to sit and forcing myself to cash out a little bit um, allows me to do that. And, you know, now I'll I'll be completely vulnerable and authentic. Like there's a lot of nights after the boys are back, back in bed that my computer comes back out and I try, but at least at the end of the day, and I'll work through that with my wife and say, Hey, I need to do some of this tonight. And she gets it. You know, there's times, and you know, there's a lot of times like the last few weeks, you and I were talking earlier, 
my wife's had some different physical things going on. I know your wife has too. Well, this is the worst possible time with our big Catalyst Atlanta event happening next week. We've got 9,000 leaders showing up that I'm called to steward their time and resources, right? <laughs> and so, you know, you feel the weight of that. But at the end of the day, my wife is still more important than the 9,000 people that are showing up next week. And for me to be flexible and move around and go take care of her. <laughs> but she understands. I mean, that's what she's more upset about is she knows that that's taken me away from a lot of the things that I need to be doing right now. It's so but I funny. Just figured out. It's so funny that you say that because, uh, you know, I, I run – you know, one of my, my hats that I wear is um, church planning catalyst for San Diego. And, uh, and, and we have this vision tour where, you know, pastors that have a burden for San Diego come. And it yeah. was, it was less than a week after my wife's surgery. And of course, you know, this thing's going down on Monday. I'm in and out of the ER with her over the weekend. Yeah. And uh, the same kind of thing that it's funny how, you know, the planets just align sometimes but I, I was going into this situation, and I had a friend say, how can I pray for you? And I said, pray that I'm not an idiot when my wife goes through this. So you talk about you know, being a little vulnerable yeah. and, and authentic. Um, I'll just be real here because what happens in times of stress for me is I tend to go into a um, almost like a, uh, I work. I work it out. I don't yeah. freak out. I, don't, yeah. I, I get very intense about everything else in my life. And it's a defense mechanism to be sure. But, yeah. uh, but what happened was, you know, I, we've learned these patterns. And sometimes when your wife can yeah. recognize the patterns that you have, you can look at it and say, Hey, you know what? I know that's what it's going to look like for me. And so I prayed and man, I am telling you, God gave me incredible grace. I can honestly yeah. say that there was, there was a couple nights where at 10 o'clock at night, like you said, the laptop came out. But by and large, I was given, I would say, a supernatural grace from God to yeah. just let go of things. And it yeah. was good, man. That's really good. You know, and it, uh, I was thinking, too, that we're just we're called to make sure we do this well with our families to the best of our abilities and, and with our team. Uh, you know, my assistant, she's had a rough two days with some random things. She got an, a fender bender this morning. And this is the, wor- again, worst possible time for that to happen. And I know she's feeling it at the end of the day, though, you're exactly right. There's a grace that's bestowed upon us by our heavenly father who, who says it's okay. You know, it's okay. If that, that email had, I'm a, I'm a probably the opposite of you, Peyton, where I actually, cause people are like, you love your job. I'm like, well, no, it's a job. Like I have to work, right? If I don't have to work, <laughs> I'd way rather be playing golf or doing something like that. It's way more fun. I find myself in stress times kind of just like, oh, you know, my team, they say, my leadership team will say my favorite phrase is, we'll figure it out. Well, that's kind of how I operate, you know? And they're like, no, that's what we're trying to do right now. And I'm like, I know, but we'll figure it out. And so anyway, I, there's just a, uh, for me, it's just going, and, and it goes back, we haven't talked about this yet, but this is where it all comes from for me, Peyton, is integrity. The word integrity is so important to me. Mm. And the word integrity also means consistency. You know, when somebody says the, the integrity of a wall, you're talking about that that wall is consistent, that nobody wanted to get creative with the, the structural ability of a wall, right? When somebody says the integrity of that wall, you go, I trust every piece of that wall that it is going to be what it says it's going to be. Well, for me, what I do at home and what I do at work are different things. 
However, the person that shows up in those two different environments is the same person. And so mm. um, that's really important for me. And so I can't just fight for health at work and tell my team to be healthy and turn around and go be unhealthy at home. That, that's a big, a big flag for me in my own personal value system. And, 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 you know, and, and it goes back to me, if you're, if you're planning a church, you run a church, you're a pastor of a church, what you say on Sunday has to be who you are. Yes. And when those things do not count and work together— Look, I, I know that scripture was next in line and you were going to talk about that passage anyway, but you need to be wrestling with that thing and how that's applying to your life. And I, you know, I'm not pointing fingers. That's just us. Like as, as men and women who are broken, we do preach a lot. We talk a lot about things that, man, it's hard to carry those into our lives, but we cannot disconnect the two. Yeah. And I, and I love, you know, that your leadership secret is that you hire people with character, competency, and chemistry. And you place a value on emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Um, talk yeah. to me about those three things. What does that look like for someone to have that balance of emotional, physical, and spiritual health? And how do you yeah. lead a team to maintain that balance? That's good. Well, we, uh, you know, when you're when you're looking to hire people, um, especially even if let's say you have, you know, you're two of you at a church, you're about to hire a third person. I always say this. I'd rather lose sleep um, before a hard conversation than lose sleep after a hard conversation uh, because I didn't prepare for it and pray about it and handle it well. Mm. Same thing with hiring. When I'm hiring somebody, I want to spend all my due diligence to make sure because you know how much harder it is to get the energy and the, uh, the ability to fire somebody? It's really hard. And so, but it's not hard to wait for the right candidate. Now, right. it might mean a little work here. It might mean a little work here. But at the same time, it's too important not to do that. So when I – and I'm a huge proponent of emotional intelligence. I'm a proponent of just being a good leader and what that looks like. So for me, when I'm looking to hire people – and like I told you a minute ago, like I, I believe that I'm hiring you because you're competent. So I'm going to figure that out through your resume. I'm going to figure that out through the things that you do and, and from your uh, references. I want to talk to people. I, I can – I wouldn't say for the mo- for completely, but I can figure out kind of your character through the people that have re- referenced you, those sorts of things. Chemistry is the wild card in that situation because we've all gotten connected where it felt like this person is, uh, you know, more than qualified for this position, and they didn't work out. Right. Well, they didn't work out probably most times, nine times out of ten, because they didn't fit the organization and they didn't fit with the person specifically that they were working with. And I've had that in my life. I'm sure you have too, Peyton, where, you know, you get in there and you're just going, this should work better than it does. But it's probably because that person that you're paired up with, you might go. It's really difficult. And so um, for me, those things are really, so one of the ways I do that in terms of figuring out chemistry is we'll take, we get down to, let's say we get down to two candidates for a position. I'll have each of those candidates on different days come in and they'll just go to lunch with whatever team they're going to work most closely with. Because you know what I can figure out? I can, I, there's no interview questions. Maybe some get to know you questions, but I can watch how they interact with the people around them. You can see chemistry a mile away. You really can. You, and you can also see a lack of chemistry a mile away. So um, I just try to make sure that when we do that, uh, that we're creating teams that are going to work together well from the beginning to the mm. best of our ability. Now, I say all that to kind of go back to what your original question was. If I do all of this hard work on the front end, 
it should allow the right people in place. And then I'm not spending as much time going, I've got to train them to make sure they to fix the competency issues that they didn't have coming in. I've got to figure out how to get them more and more experience. Well, they're going to get those things, but if I, I don't, I don't want to ever hire someone I don't trust from the beginning. I was told one time when I was hired, I won't trust you for six months. You got to earn my trust. Well, I'm not hiring right. If I bring people in that I don't trust from the beginning, you know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. And you know, what's really refreshing about this um, is that, you know, for years now, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in the faith in Calvary Chapel and there were a bunch of hippies, man, and they just grabbed yeah. a Bible and hopped into a pulpit and that was it. But then the movement grew and suddenly we had these guys at the top of, you know, uh, staff teams that had no leadership training themselves yep. and yep. were absolutely making a mess of it. And here's the deal. If your church plant grows if it gets to a certain level or a certain point, you're going to need the skills that Tyler's talking about. And it's very, very helpful that the church right now has a love affair with the topic of leadership, which is very refreshing. Because I can remember when my brother uh, came to faith years ago, he was uh, a, a business major, was doing his, his master's in leadership. And he looked at me and said, Peyton, you pastors have no clue what you're doing. Just like Pete, my co-host of the show as a marketer, looked at me and said, you missionaries suck at marketing. (laughs) (laughs) And and here's the deal. It's so refreshing, man. So uh, where can they learn a little bit more of some of this wisdom from you in particular? Uh, You know, it's pretty fun. I have a blog, but I don't – I mean, literally, I think it was updated (laughs) about – like a year and a half ago. Yeah. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm pouring everything I have into catalyst. Um, we do our one days, we do like our one day events are specifically geared for practical leadership training for what a day looks like from Craig Rochelle and Andy Stanley, who are two of the best. And I think some people are, are kind of like, well, that doesn't apply to me because they have these huge churches. Right. Well, they also have very small campuses of 200 people they speak to consistently. They also have, you know, so it's a, uh, it, that's a false, understanding of who they are when it comes to that. So we try to do these one day specifically geared to the, the, the man or the woman in the marketplace or in the church that one wants to continually grow in their leadership. And it's super practical. I mean, like down to time management, down to what does it look like to make sure your staff has values in place, those kind of things. Um, so to be frank, I would send them to catalystconference.com because that's, or, or download the catalyst app. We're constantly uploading it with all the kind of uh, content that we're talking about here. Like it is really, really important for that. Uh, you could follow me on Twitter, Instagram, in those places at Tyler Reagan, R E A G I N. And I do some snippets here and there, but for me, it's really pouring it all into the leaders that, that we get to connect with year round. And we, I mean, it's pretty cool. I feel incredibly privileged to get, we'll probably have about 30,000 leaders we interact with and on site over this year through the 11 events we do. Yeah. And then it's, you know, it's, it's tens of thousands of leaders through the app and everything else. So it, it really has become, it, it's always been this, but it, it is so central to us of helping leaders who love the church uh, be better at what they do. That's awesome. And you guys will actually uh, next week have your big, uh, event going, your Catalyst 2015 at the Infinite Energy Arena in Duluth, Georgia on October 7th through 9th. So that's, yeah, that's kind of like, you know, that's, that's the mothership. 
But you also are doing something in D.C. that's very interesting yeah. called Catalyst Next. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, this is our second year we've done it. We did it last year for the first time. It's, it's at this killer theater in D.C. called the Lincoln Theater. It's where one of Mark Batterson's churches meets. And um, basically, we just said, okay, if we are about leaders who love the church, what is one of those conversations we need to be in the center of? And we feel like that is, what is next for the church? What do the next five years look like? Because honestly, most pastors, you don't have time to think about this. We do. And we know a lot of people, and we have a lot of relationships with people that are experts thinking in their specific space about this. So, uh, for instance, this year we'll have um, Leonce Crump, who's a church planner here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leonce has got one of the most diverse churches in Atlanta. Well, he's going to talk about what does it look like for the next five years for the church to engage with mission. What does mission look like? You know, we'll talk about um, we'll talk about four buckets: leadership, mission, justice, and culture. Last year, we had Trip Lee, the hip-hop artist, who's a pastor of a church now, talk about how he uses hip-hop to engage with the culture. Um, so it's just going to be a, uh, it's a time where we're forcing ourselves to have hard conversations and look forward. So it's a little different format than everything else we do. Uh, smaller venue, so you know, it sells out pretty easily. So we'd love for anybody um, you know, in that D.C., mid-Atlantic area to come hang out with us on November 17th. That's awesome, man. Well, hey, you know, it's been great having you on, Tyler. We appreciate you kicking down your ministerial leadership wisdom for our church planners. And, uh, you know, thank you very much. Thank you, Peyton. It's great being with you. Well, my guest today has been Tyler Regan, and you can catch more from Tyler and the Catalyst team at CatalystConference.com. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.